Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 143 of the Headspace and Timing podcast. Today, I have a conversation with the fellow veteran, Dr. Nick C. Cicchino. Dr. Nick is a two-time veteran, having served in both the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Navy. Dr. Cicchino is the Chief Knowledge Facilitator at Masters Achievers Training and Consulting. Nick has an amazing story of adversity, hardship, and catastrophe, and he's an example of how to emerge from hardship stronger and more resilient than ever. And I did that to show my children, you can do it. We can do it. Don't give up. Like Jim Valvano said, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Before we get started, I wanted to share some news with you. As we approach 150 episodes, I'm going to be taking a hiatus from bringing you new conversations with veterans and those who support them. I have a number of great guests lined up between now and then, but after episode 150, I'm going to be taking some time to work on a couple of different projects. Stay subscribed and keep listening, though, because I'll be releasing summary episodes of all the previous conversations, which basically means that you'll still be getting a podcast episode every week, just a shorter one. I'm going to be taking the fall to put the finishing touches on the third Headspace and Timing book, as well as working on another podcast project that will be announced soon. You can still stay connected by signing up for our weekly newsletter, which you can do at VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash update, or join the growing Facebook group at VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash community. Now back to my conversation with Dr. Nick. This format's a bit different than other shows. I'm going to be bringing you excerpts from Nick's narrative rather than giving you the entire conversation. Nick and I talked for nearly two hours about his experiences, so I'm going to be sharing the significant parts of his story with you interspersed with some brief explanations by me. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the Headspace and Timing Podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non-commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Nick and I have been connected on LinkedIn for a while, and he reached out and asked if he could share his story with me and the Headspace and Timing audience. We start off by Nick sharing why he wants to do what he does and why he's coming on the show. I do appreciate what people like you and others do to help guys and gals like us, veterans that come back. Some of us have PTSD, some have TBI. Um, thankfully, uh, I didn't get my PTSD from uh, my active duty service. I got it from uh, witnessing the most horrific uh, life-changing event in my life. And that was the day that uh, my four, uh, our four young children and about 38 others watched my wife lose her life in a plane crash. So, yeah, that's where I picked up my PTSD. Uh, what I would like to, my major focus and my line of expertise, as you're probably well aware, Dwayne, is, is I help others get to the point from point A to point B when they're faced with an adversity, life-altering challenge. 
transitioning from uh, service, you know, military service into civilian life, and then and then going from civilian life transitioning into a college uh, student life, which is overwhelming. You know, you know, I mean, which is overwhelming for many, whether you're a veteran, whether you're a veteran or not, whether you're a veteran or not, you know, veterans, we guys like us, gals, guys and gals like us, we're disciplined. We've proven that we're devoted. We're dedicated. We're determined. We're disciplined. We can follow orders, whether we like them or not. We follow them and we do the job and we and we finish the task at hand. Then we might complain. Then we might say something derogatory underneath our breaths or to a fellow brother or sister. But uh, when we come out and we become civilians again, in my opinion, we can do what the average Joe or Jane non-veteran may not be able to do. Does it make us better? No. Does it make us different? Yes. Does it make us unique? Yes, again. Can I do, can you do the same thing as a non-veteran and vice versa? Sure. Sure. But I could never take the pressure, nor take the discipline, if I didn't go through boot camp, both in the Air Force and a Navy, I'm a two-time honorably discharged veteran, and I gotta tell you, <laughs> both boot camps kicked me in the rear end. <laughs> Thankfully, I was an ex-football player at the time out of high school, and I was in pretty good shape, and I said, give me another 16 more miles with that 100 pounds on my back. I can handle it. As you can tell, straight out of the gate, Nick tells us about how he lost his wife Donna in a plane crash. We might be thinking of a huge airliner crash, but this is something much more than that. Before we get to that part of Nick's story, though, he shares with us his military experience. I'll try and tell you about myself and your audience about myself without coming across like I'm braggadocious. Uh, so bear with me. Uh, where do I start? All right, let's start from the beginning, right? Let's start from going in the United States Navy. 24 years old, prior service from the Air Force. So I, I knew what the military would, would hold. I knew what to expect to a certain degree. So I went in the Navy because I felt kind of shortchanged not being able to serve the four years in the Air Force. I had uh, an abbreviated stay with them, less than a year. And people say, oh, did you get kicked out? No. I had a, an opportunity to leave because my father at the time was was in bad health. And my mother and kid brother were the only two folks left to help support my father. My mother didn't work. My brother was still in high school at the time. So they needed the oldest son, me, to come home, go to work, help support my family. You know, pay the mortgage and do all that kind of stuff. And that's what I did. Once And thankfully, my father, his health changed for the better. He pulled through. As soon as he was good enough to get back to work, which was about seven, eight months down the road, I said, adios, mommy and daddy and brother Joe. I'm kicking it. I'm getting it back into the military. And I said to myself, well, I want to go on an adventure. I want to see the world. I signed up for the Navy. And and jerky me, I'm saying to myself, oh, dear Jesus, Please don't put me in a submarine. <laughs> and what's the first what's the first thing they do? Well, son, you're going to sign up for six years, aren't you? Yes, sir, I am. Proudly, I say. Good. I'm going to send you to A school in Chicago. Great mistakes, great lakes. I said, wonderful. I says, uh, so when I got there, they put me in submarine school. <laughs> I said, that's not for me. That's not what I signed up for. So the hits began early, having to leave the Air Force due to his father's illness, but then deciding that he still wanted to serve his country. His second time around in the military, however, is when he met Donna. In the process of being in Chicago, or outside of Chicago, at the uh, Great Lakes Naval Base, I, uh, I met the woman of my life, my dream. That was my late wife, Donna. And uh, she was a uh, hospital corpsman in the Navy. 
And uh, it was a, uh, I know it's an old adage and people laugh, but it was love at first sight. It was. Uh, I'll never forget it. We met uh, on uh, Halloween, 1981. She was on lane 24 of the bowling alley with three other ladies in the Navy as well, bowling. I was with three of my buddies at the bowling alley looking to get something to eat and maybe meet a nice uh, lady. Thankfully for us, there were four nice ladies there. I said to my, my friends, hey, let's go introduce ourselves. And as we're walking towards these four women that are bowling, I say to my friends, you see the brunette over there? She's mine. <laughs> you guys can you guys can argue about the other three. And I went right for this woman who I was attracted to, and uh, we we introduced each other, and that was it. That was it. We we were in love. Uh, I don't. I can't even explain it to you because uh, I've never experienced that before. We got married. You know, I said, "Well, where are you from?" He says, "I'm from Jersey." Well, I'm from Jersey too. I says, "Where in Jersey are you from?" She says, "Oh, up in the mountains." Oh, I says, "I'm in mid mid Jersey." You know, the nice area, I'm saying to her. She goes, well, my house, my area is very nice. Oh, okay. Well, why don't you come home with me for Christmas on a holiday, and I'll introduce you to my mother and father, my kid brother. All right. And that's where it started. Love at first sight. And it happens because it happened between my wife and I over 20 years ago and a developing military career. Unfortunately, tragedy was about to strike and have an impact on Nick's psychological well-being. Part of what I do today as a professional is I help people overcome adversities and, and life-altering challenges. I was faced with one while enlisted in the Navy. She got her orders to go to 29 stumps, 29 bombs, excuse me, you know, at a Marine base. And, uh, you know, she was supposed to go to school there for 12 weeks, and then she would be on the uh, medevac uh, crew. Anytime there was a pilot went down, one of the, the hospital corpsmen would be thrown into a, you know, into a helicopter with a doctor and they go to the site. And that's what my wife did in training. Anyway, she went to 29 Palms. I went from Chicago to Charleston, South Carolina, Naval Base, Pier Papa on a USS Sierra AD 18, whole number. We were a destroyer tender. We took care of other ships. But in the process of getting shipped, uh, getting my orders to go to Charleston, my wife to be calls up and says, "Well, I got, I got good news and I got bad news." And I said, "Well, what's the good news?" He says, "She says to me, well, I'm pregnant. We're going to have a child.'" And I said, "Wow, this is great! I was happier than." Then you can imagine, Dwayne, uh, I was going to be a father for the first time in my life. The sad news, or the bad news, was she was raped at her dorm on base by a, a, a Marine. So I had to deal with that. She had to deal with that. I had to deal with that. Here I am thousands of miles away thinking what I'm going to do. That's when I started to think, I don't like not being in control. And I've always been brought up, okay, you want to say because of my heritage? I was born here. I'm an American citizen. My parents were born here. They're American citizens. However, I am of Italian descent. So, like many Italians, Italian-Americans, and those who are Italian, we are very prideful people. We're very loving people. We are very protective of people, especially the women in our lives. That could be our mother. That could be our wife. That could be our sister or our daughter. And all of the, three of those four, I qualify for. I have a mother. I have a daughter, daughters, but I don't have a sister, but I have an aunt. So I've always been, and a cousin, a female cousin. So I've always acted as the big brother or the watcher. So not being able to protect Donna, my late wife, was mind-blowing. 
that's where my mental health went south. So what do you do when you're on a ship, you're out at sea, and you're headed this way, and she's headed that way, and life is all miscombobulated. Then you got to do your take, you know, do what you're told to do on a ship. You got to work. You're in the navy. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know the deal. <laughs> you do what you're told. So here you are. You're stuck. You know, you're 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 being ripped apart. Your heart, your mind, your brain. You don't know what day it is. You you just want to. You get. I got so so upset and angry. I just wanted to hit something or hit someone. And I, you know, I'm not that kind of person. So, like, the mental health aspect of it, well, I went and I talked to the chaplain on the ship. And he would come and see me even when I didn't want to see him. Chikino! Yes, sir! Come over here. Come to my office. How you feeling, son? Have you talked to the missus yet? Have you reached out to her? We can help you. Oh, okay. I'm 17,000 miles away from her. I don't know how you're going to help me. Help her. Don't worry about me. Help her. That started the chain of adversities. So both Donna and Nick finished up their time in the military. Like many dual military couples, they began to build a life together after the military, ultimately having four children, two sons, and two daughters. Well, we got out. We got discharged. I got discharged. Honestly, discharged both of us. And uh, we had an apartment in South Carolina. That's where my base was. That's where we met and uh, kind of uh, settled. Then she got homesick two years later. Hey, honey, she said to me, I want to go back to New Jersey. I miss my mom. I miss your family, too. Okay. You want to go home? All right. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. <laughs> I love James Island. Had a nice little house. Beautiful. Beautiful. Played golf once a week. Went fishing once a week. Went on the beach three times a week. It was awesome. Worked every day, Monday through Friday. It was a beautiful life. Had a little baby boy. My, our first child, Nikki, named after named him after me. And uh, we're just moving along, enjoying life as a young, you know, couple, young married couple. Unfortunately, uh, when we got back to Jersey, moving along, you know, we got married in 80, uh, 81. Uh, my son was born in 82. And then we had children in 84. My daughter, Gina Maria, 86, we had my son, Christopher, 89, we had our baby, Amanda, and that was it. Uh, at that point, my wife says, uh, I'm going to have my tubes tied, if you don't mind. <laughs> I says, please do, it's your body. <laughs> I support you, honey. And that's what she did. And then, uh, you know, we're, we're living in New Jersey, up in the mountains where she's from, wanted to make her as comfortable as possible. And she said it was great for the children to grow up in, in that kind of environment. Great. I'm all for it. I knew nothing about that part of New Jersey. I'm all ears. Moved up there. It was beautiful. I'm still there today, right now. You know, 30 years later, I'm still there. In September of 1992, coincidentally, the week the show was released 27 years ago, Nick and his children tragically lost Donna to a horrific accident. On September 13th, 1992, we were at a, uh, airport where the airport owner allowed 50 of us, 45, 50 people to have a picnic, a barbecue. And all these people were volunteers of the air show that was held two weeks previous here in New Jersey. No, it's not Oshkosh air show. No, it's not that big, but it's pretty damn big. Uh, the Sussex County air show for many years was very, very big. Anyway, on this particular day, here we have the west wing of the airport. I'm doing the cooking because I love cooking. So I got the barbecue going. I got the grills going. My wife and some other ladies are face painting children and, you know, doing children-like games, playing children-like games and keeping them happy. And then my stepfather-in-law, my wife's stepfather, who's a pilot, says, Hey, anybody want to go for a plane ride? You know, most of these people here in, in the crowd were all plain enthusiasts, including myself. And you'll hear people raising their arms and hands, calling out Herbie, pilot's name. Hey, Mr. Daniels, I'll go. Hey, Uncle Herbie, I'll go. You know, whatever the name was of that person. So my son, Nicky, goes, hey, Grandpa Herbie, take me for a ride. 
All right, come on, Nicky. My son went up and played, went for a ride. Ten, fifteen minutes later, they come back. Hey, Nick, he said to my son, hey, how was the ride? Oh, it was great, Dad. You going up? No, I got to cook, son. My wife then says to her stepfather, hey, Herb, how about taking me for a ride? I'm going to be with these kids all damn day. I'd love to go for a, a ten-minute ride. Would you take me? Sure. Come on, Donna. And I'm saying to Donna, sweetheart, got all these kids over here. I'm cooking for 40 people. That plane don't look too good. Nikki just went up. She says to me, our son Nikki just went up. There was no problem. I don't feel good, sweetheart, about it. Now, on a side note, notice my son a little weird. I am not a weirdo. At least I'd like to think I'm not. But two years previous, a year previous, I wrote, I had a, I had a premonition. I had a dream that my wife was going to get killed in a plane crash somewhere in the future. And I woke up and I wrote it down on a piece of paper. I put it in an envelope. And on the outside of the envelope, Dwayne, I put down confidential. Do not open. Okay. And then I took that. So no one would open it, including my, including my wife. I gave it to my mother. I drove down to my mother's house and said, hey, Ma, listen, do me a favor. Put this in your underwear drawer, all right? Don't let Dad see it. I don't want you to see it. Don't do nothing with it. I want you to hide it for me, okay? Just between me and you. A little secret between me and you, okay? Yeah, sure. No problem, Nick, she says to me. Then my wife goes up for a plane ride. Within a minute, we knew that the plane was in trouble. Mechanically, there was a problem. And... You know, it's a tough nut to swallow, you know, watching your, you know, watching your wife go down like that and not being able to do anything. That's the killer, you know, uh, standing by Dwayne helplessly, as you know, you're watching, you're looking up in the sky and you're saying, dear Jesus, she's going to die. And there's nothing you can do. That messed me up a little bit. That messed me up a bit. Nick's a master of understatement. The personal nature of his accident and the speed at which it happened made it even more impactful for Nick and his family. Here, he talks about his immediate response that day. I jumped in a car. I turned to my wife's girlfriend and I yelled to her. I said, Cindy, watch the children. I'm going to check on Donna. I jumped in my car and my oldest son says, Daddy, let me come with you. No, 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 no. Stay here and watch your, your two sisters and brother. No, I got to come. I, I got to see Mommy. I got to help Mommy. Okay, come on. So I, I brought him with me. And it killed me to do that. I didn't want to do that. But at the time, I didn't have time to, to mess around or deal with him. I had to deal with that. No disrespect. He's my kid. I love him. You know, I love all my children. But I didn't have time to sit down and coddle and, 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 and be gentle and, and speak softly and hug him and hold him to explain to him what was going on. He saw the plane go down. He knows what's going on. <laughs> they all did. So we got to the crash site two blocks away and I got out of the car and there were the police were there, the firemen, EMTs, everyone, nosy neighbors. And I, Ran, and as I'm running, I turned to my son, who's just getting out of the car on the passenger side. I said, "Nikki, stay with the big fireman. Stay with him, okay? I'll be right back." And as I'm running past the fireman, yo, and I say to him, "Hey, big guy, watch my kid. Don't let him come in the backyard. That's his mother." And as I come around the corner of this house where the, where the, the plane crashed in the residential area behind a behind a house. And, and this is even even more stressful and more mind-boggling. My wife and Herbie crashed in the backyard of a of a house two doors down to the house we were moving into two weeks later. Now you're saying I'm saying to myself, "Are you blanking kidding me? Could you have crashed somewhere else?" I know that sound might sound disrespectful, but I'm, out of all the places to crash, 
You crashed in the freaking yard next door to the house we're moving into? Oh, come on. Come on. Dear Jesus. What did I do wrong? You know, you start, you start asking those questions. You know, it's like that, you know, <laughs> Hibbler Myers, you know, you go through the, you know, the bereavement, you know, the, you start asking, you know, the five step, you ask yourself, you know, you know, you, you're bargaining. Number two, you bargain with the good Lord if you believe in him or her. Dear Jesus, dear God, what did I do? Hey, if you bring my wife back, I promise I'll be a good husband. I'll be a good man. I'll be a good father. I'll be better. I promise. Doesn't work that way, Nick. After that incident, Nick sought out mental health treatment. Like many veterans, he had some preconceived notions about it, whether it was for him and how it could help. But he took a chance anyway. So I went to mental health. I was totally against it. I, you know, I used to believe, you know, I'm a macho, I'm a tough guy. I'm a big guy. I'm from Newark, New Jersey. I'm Italian. I'm big. I'm strong. You know, only, only the weak go for help. Only the weak talk to some shrink. And, and that was my ego. That was ignorance. That was the stigma that you're well aware that comes along with did you hear? Nicky's going to a shrink. I think it's because he lost his wife. Don't say nothing. Here he comes. You know, there's always, you know, like you're a freak of nature. Oh, here he comes. Lock the door. Close your windows. No, you're not a freak of nature. There's something inside your head that says, hey, I don't like the way I feel. I didn't put it there. It just came into me. But I need to get it out of there. So how do you get it out of here? You talk to people like you. You talk to people like, well, not so much me, per se, but you can. But you can because I walk that walk. I don't have your book knowledge in this particular genre, in this particular topic or, or subject matter. I don't. What my expertise and knowledge is in another genre, in another topic. So we can, we can help. We can, we are aligned with each other, people like you and I. We're, we're working towards the same goals. We're working towards helping our fellow uh, veteran uh, brothers and sisters. So, for me, the adversity of watching, you know, the trauma of watching your wife and the mother of your four children come down like that, you say to yourself, one, one minute I'm happily married with four kids, and, then, and a minute and 38 seconds later, Dwayne, I'm a widower. With, with, uh, with four motherless children. It, it was the, it was almost surreal. After losing Donna in such a tragic manner, Nick talks about finding the strength that comes from tragedy. As we talked on the show before about post traumatic growth, Nick explains what it sounds like becoming stronger after adversity after adversity. When reality sets in and you step back and you look, you know, you gotta remove yourself from yourself. That's very hard to do. Very hard to do, especially in their traumatic, life-altering situations. I can't speak for everyone. And I can tell you, I'm no longer a tough guy. Physically. Mentally, you'll be hard-pressed to find non-veteran, hard-pressed non-veteran person that's tougher than me or my four children. Mentally. Mentally. However, with that strength comes a weakness or a dysfunction. And part of the dysfunction is there's four motherless children that never really truly got to, to appreciate or feel the embrace and love of their mother or a mother, specifically their mother. So... Are my four kids stronger mentally than most kids walking the face of the earth? Yeah. Around here? I mean, in, in their, their inner circle of friends? No question. Not even close. And others have suffered dearly as well. My kids aren't the only kids that suffered. I'm not the only person that suffered in the world. People have suffered worse. Of course. I'm not claiming uh, to have the worst horrific life tragedy. However... However, we are accustomed to hearing, you know, 
Judy passed away. She had she had ovarian cancer. Or you hear about Tommy, he got hit by a drunk driver. Or you hear about Paul, he died from lung cancer. Yeah, he smoked for 58 years. Very rarely do you ever hear anyone say to you, Dwayne, did you hear about Susie? Yeah, she was killed in a plane crash. No, not one of those big ones, one of those little ones. Very hard. You very rarely ever hear that. Very rarely. What I try and do is I try and share the horrificness and tell my story. You may be thinking to yourself, that's pretty amazing that you don't know how you'd react in a situation like that. And that wasn't the only hardship going on in Nick's life at that time. Only the worst one. 1992 was an extremely hard year for Nick and his family. In June of 1992, uh, the house, our house, we were living in, up in the country, burnt to the ground. And it was the first house I ever lost in my life to a fire. Thankfully, we got out in time. It was like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I got up. How did the hell that happen? I, I sleep like a bear. You know, my, my, my late wife could hear a mouse pass gas. I mean, that's how sensitive her hearing was. But for whatever reason, she didn't get up. I did. So, thankfully, I, I, I got everybody out, including the, uh, Einstein, our, our dog. And uh, that, that started the, the crap, the adversities. You know, the house burnt to the ground. Uh, a month later, my car was stolen. They found it on the other side uh, in uh, upstate New York. And I was, <laughs> I was like, okay, where's my car? And they brought the car back to the house. And, you know, nothing really wrong with it. But I, just, I didn't want to drive it anymore since it was, you know what I mean? I, I felt I was violated. It's like, that was my car, you know? <laughs> and then Donna was killed in September. All those things in 90 days. Kind of like, it really put a dent in you, you know? So now I'm living in a hotel with a wife and four kids. <laughs> There's a house burned to the ground, looking for another house, which took a few months to get, you know. And uh, we, when we lost Donna, uh, that was, you know, obviously one hell of a day. Nick talks more about Donna's life. When she died in the plane crash, Donna was eight months away from graduating with her nursing degree as the class valedictorian, no less. At her internment, as he was laying a flower on her casket, Nick said a silent prayer to himself and promised Donna that he would go to college and finish a degree in her honor. So he did. So now it's 1994. I've become a freshman in college, the local community college. But as I go to enroll, Dwayne, I have to take a test. You know, what do you call it? The placement test. And lo and behold, they told me the results two days later. And the results were that I could not read nor write at the college level. I was just tall, dark, and handsome, and uh, and a high school graduate. I had no trade. I had no degrees or certificates. But I thought I was relatively smart. I was a good high school student. You know, I was a B student. I really didn't concern myself with academia because I was a jock. You know what I mean? I played football. I played baseball. I played basketball. <laughs> you name it, I played it. <laughs> but most of it was football and uh, baseball. Those were the two major sports that I played. So, you know, I was always active kind of thing, you know. So, that blew me away. When somebody, when the counselor told me that I'm, we can't take you in, sorry, we can't, we can't enroll you unless you take Two non-credit courses, one in reading, one in writing. All right. I made a promise to my late wife. I'm going to keep it. So, all right. So I took those two classes. Uh, Sussex County Community College in Newton, New Jersey. I attended there from 94 to 96. Well, Dwayne, here I am. I'm 36, uh, whatever the hell I was, uh, 35 years old at the time. I'm with a bunch of 17 to 21-year-olds. Then I see a bunch of old dogs, <laughs> older than me. <laughs> I'm saying, hey, I'm not that old. <laughs> I'm feeling good about myself. So, all right, great, wonderful. I'm looking for veterans, someone I can gravitate to, uh, or anyone from my hometown I can gravitate to, someone in my age group. But as I'm in, in my classes, I'm going, well, most of the people are my age. All right, and there's some younger ones. Well, I can make friends with younger people. 
Nothing wrong with that. So uh, it was a wonderful experience. And I was getting A's, straight A's. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. I, I was surprised because, A, I never really got A's in high school. Hardly ever. Now I'm in college and I'm making the dean's list. I got a 3.75 GPA. I'm the president of the student government. Me? You kids want me? I'm a widower with four kids. You don't want me. I ain't cool enough. I'm cool, but I'm not as cool as you guys. You know, but it was great, Dwayne. I, I, every leadership position as, as, as Jesus is my witness. I held every single one of them. Every single one of them. There must have been five or six major, uh, any college campus you go to, uh, whatever they have for students, you know, whatever position I might be, student government, student leadership uh, committee, I was the main squeeze on all of them. Half of the things I didn't even ask for. I was kind of like, hey, hey, we're going to vote you in. Vote me in. <laughs> you didn't even tell me I was running. But I was honored. After I got wind of it, you know, hey, you're the, you're the co-president of the AIDS committee. The AIDS committee? I mean, uh, disease? I, 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 I don't have it, thankfully. And I don't know much about it. I'd like to help those who are sick, though. He says, well, we're making big, giant, uh, we're making scarves and big, giant, uh, what do you call those? Tapestries. Do you know some people that would be interested? You're a salesman, Nick. Could you sell some for us? And we can give the money to the people in need? Yeah, all right. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of stuff. So, in the process of going from school to school to school and telling my story, and because I was angry, Dwayne. I was pissed. I was hurt. I was devastated. My soulmate's gone. You know, I got, I got a nine-year-old. I got a seven-year-old. I got a five-year-old, and I got a three-year-old when they watched their mother get killed. You think about veterans going back to school. That's a pretty big shift from the military. But consider the difficulty of doing it while you're a single parent, dealing with your own grief from losing your spouse in your mid-30s, having never thought about school after high school before. And because life is never easy, Nick had some ups and downs for the next 15 years. So I used each, each, each stage to learn from and to share. And when I, when a mental therapist, when a mental health therapist told me that I wasn't crazy and I knew that all along and that I needed to journalize, need to write, you never see me write. I was a horrible writer. I was a horrible, I wasn't that good of a writer. The professor said to me the next day at school, goes, Hey, I want you guys to start a journal for this class. I went, son of a gun. I says, my mental health counselor just told me yesterday I should keep a journal and put down, write down my feelings. If I'm happy, if I'm sad, if I'm angry, just get it out. All right. So I got to tell you, legal pads like this, no exaggeration. I have 50 of them, brand new at one time. <laughs> They were all filled with my thoughts when I was going through that horrific time. And about a three-year period. And I was, however, I was in a funk for 15 years. 15 years, Dwayne. 1992, watched my wife die. Started college in 94, graduated in 96. Got a scholarship to a four-year school, a local one. Went there, graduated in 98. I graduated that school and I, I said, I says, okay, it's 1999, 98, no jobs that, that I wanted. So I said, I had to go back to school. I don't want to go to college. I just did college. So I went to real estate school, became a licensed realtor in the state of New Jersey. Did that for almost 10 years, nine something. And then two, 2008, the country fell apart. I went from selling 15, 12, 10 homes a year to goose egg one year. Go from 15 the next year to goose egg. That, that, 
that's a kick in the groin. So I says, okay, what am I going to do now? Thankfully, I had some money put in the bank, saved. You know, you're, you're a nest there to pull back on. Okay, now I needed to pull back on it. Thankfully, it was there for me. But what did I do? I go to school. So 10 years after graduating with his bachelor's degree, Nick is back in school. After a couple of missteps, he gets into a master's program, then he looks for something more. His advisor tells him about a series of postgraduate certificates, which takes him another 18 months. Another advisor finally tells Nick about a PhD program, and Nick starts that. He's one month away from defending his dissertation, however, when he gets another blow. The school closes in December of 2015. He's transferred to another school, which requires him to take an additional two years to get his Ph.D., which he finally does in 2018. Nick's story is amazing, and now he uses his experience to help others through adversity. When I offer people uh, advice about what I've been through, well, don't compare my life to what you are going through, because I'm not you and you're not me. Okay? We're all different. Okay? What took me years to to accomplish, years would have been done in half the time if I wasn't so messed up in the head for those period of time. Because I was mourning. I felt sorry for myself. I I didn't know where life was going to take me. My soul mate was killed in front of me. My heart was wrenched. My soul was wrenched. My heart was wrenched from me. I mean, I, it's, it's hard to even fathom. When I tell people my story, they, they, their jaws drop. Some some of them cry. I cry. I mean, they're, they're so moved by it. They're overwhelmed by it. More times than not. You tell, somebody tells you that. It's like, what? When's it stop? When does the horrificness stop? When you want it to? No. You know, doo-doo happens. <laughs> you know, you got to be prepared. You know, sometimes the doo-doo hurts. Sometimes it's life-altering. You don't wish that on anyone. I don't wish that on anyone. I, you know, my son to this day, if you, if you were to speak to my son, Nicky, he would say, Dwayne, he go, Mr. France. I wish I was in a plane that day. And my mom. What do you say to someone like that? And that someone is your son. Someone that you love really, really. A lot. You know, that hurts. You know, that that's a tough nut to swallow. Again, Nick Skillet understatement. What he describes as a tough nut to swallow is devastating to any parent who sees their child in pain and is powerless to do anything about it. And the fact that he still has gratitude and appreciation is significant. He didn't say the journey was easy. Quite the opposite, in fact. But he sees his life of adversity now as an opportunity to support others by being honest and real about his own story. So there's a lot of things that I learned in my journey. I'm grateful for all of it, though. And uh, now, you know, like, like I say, knowledge means nothing if you don't share it. Knowledge means nothing if you can't help someone. So, you know, I'm at the age now where I set my own hours. It's all good. It's all good. I mean, this matter of fact, I'm grateful for this podcast, but this is my first professional interview as Dr. Nick C. Cicchino on a podcast. I'm extremely grateful because you're allowing me an opportunity to share something about me that hopefully might help other veterans or just other people. Not have to be veterans, but help other people, especially those who feel stigmated and feel bad or feel different uh, when it comes to mental health. I'll tell you something. My wife was raped. She was six months pregnant. Uh, my, my, uh, Jesus. My, uh, my daughter flipped her car over 17 times. You should have been dead. You know, you have stuff like that and you live through those things and they make you stronger. You know, that's why I tell people, don't feel bad. You know, mental health. I'm going to talk to a counselor. All of a sudden now, everyone's starting to come out. Finally, you can talk about it. Right? You're seeing a probably a, a more uh, optimism, more people probably reaching out to you for help because the stigma is starting to lighten up, lighten up. Now, you know, when I talk to people, I tell them, hey, everyone has problems. Everyone's lost a loved one, everyone, some worse than others. And I'm not claiming to, to have gone through the worst horrific event. However, I've never met anyone 
in all my life that's ever lost a house to a fire, lost a second house a year and a half later to an explosion that I didn't share with you, had a wife that was pregnant that was raped, and then watched my wife get killed in a plane crash. Those four things, especially the crash, puts me in such a freaking unique category of anomalies that you're like, you're like, whoop, 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 kind of thing. Like, what the heck? You know, and people who say to me, Nick, you sure you don't want to drink? No, <laughs> I'm all right. I'm good. I'm good. Just let me write and let me speak. And in the process, so I've been told, and I'm very, I'm really proud of this, that I've helped people by telling my story, you know? That I've motivated them and I've inspired them. And that, and that, that's a great honor. You know? You can hear it in his voice, the opportunity to share, to inspire, to help others through his story, to reveal his hardship and the strength that it took him to overcome his own grief and keep a promise to his wife, which he did because he didn't give up. My story is a great story. I was nothing. And because my wife lost her life, I dedicated my life to our children and to show them that we can move forward in life. If you look behind me and everywhere in my house, in my home office, are all achievements, educational achievements that I'm very proud of. And I did that to show my children, you can do it. We can do it. Don't give up. Like Jim Valvano said, don't give up. Don't ever give up. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. What an impactful story and what a great example of a father who overcame adversity to raise his children. As Nick said in the show, don't compare your adversity to his. We've all had hardships, some worse than others, of course, but it impacts us all differently. What I want you to do and what Nick wants you to do is follow the same advice that he gave to his kids, the same example that he provided, to never give up, to keep going, to get help where you need it, and when you're good, to give help to others. Because Nick knows that's what Donna would have done. That's what she was in school for, to help others heal. It's what she did in the military, and it's what she wanted to do with her life. And, in a very real way, what Nick has done to carry on her legacy. The most we can ever do is hope to approach life's challenges in the same way. Thanks for taking the time to listen. You can connect with Nick by going to the show notes, which you'll find at veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash HST143. While you're there, hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice and leave an honest rating or review. It helps others find the show. As I mentioned at the beginning, you can also sign up for our newsletter by going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash update and join us in our growing Facebook group to discuss the show at VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash community. I'd also like to let you know of a series of webinars that I'm producing for NADAC, the National Association for Addiction Professionals. I'm presenting a series of six webinars on service member, veteran, and military family mental health. There'll be live webinars presented over the remainder of 2019, and after they're complete, they'll be available to watch on demand. To see more about the series, go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash NADAC to check them out. Just a reminder that the guests and information on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be considered professional advice. While I am a practicing therapist, I'm not your therapist something you've heard makes you think you should talk to somebody, then reach out to do so. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his album Combat Medicine. Doc's trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness, and you can see all of his work at therealdoctod.com. Make sure to join us for the next episode. Hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice so you don't miss it. Until next time, remember, veterans, you're not alone. Ever.
The struggle is real Found a feast and lost a soul Eventually my drinking It got out of control There in darkness I roam Struggling to find home See suddenly death Didn't feel so alone 22 a day Destination unknown It could have been avoided If you picked up the phone But now you're gone So I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds Overgrown pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies Co-creating enemies Broke out facilities That tried to put an end to me R.I.P. I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee Embrace my ability Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.